everybody. Welcome to the New Market Alliance Church Podcast. For more information on the vision, programs, and news of our church, be sure to check us out at www.newmarketalliance.ca. We'd like to encourage you as well that no podcast, no matter how good, can substitute for the experience of joining together in person at a worship celebration. That's where God really meets people, often through the love and ministry of others. At NAC, we meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. Now let's join this week's teaching. You know, we have talked about some controversial things, LGBTQ and divorce and gender and racial discrimination. And um, something about today has me the most apprehensive. Um, let, me, uh, let me not you know, yell at you for 40 minutes. Let's just have more of a fireside chat here, some thoughts. In fact, let's put up, yeah, there we go. Some f- <laughs> I, uh, I was part of a church where we, well, as Byron Hearn, I think it puts it well, like we're stuck. And we wondered if maybe there was even a spiritual uh, reason for that. And so we got together sort of behind the scenes, elders, staff, some stakeholders in the church. And we brought in some people from an organization called Setting Your Church Free. And the first exercise was to really go through our church's history with, with, um, with an unvarnished look and, and just start making points on a whiteboard, the good and the bad. And when you see it all written down in sort of black and white, you're, you start to see some themes emerge. And it was really beautiful, actually, to see, we're talking of a church of almost 80 years, uh, and so there was somebody even there who was young, but who was there from the beginning. And um, <clears throat> to see this, this history of sent people, like just an inordinate amount of uh, missionaries and church planters that come out of this, this church that I attended. And, uh, and to see this history of evangelism, you know, just since the, the beginning, just a, an outreach mentality, to see a history of um, an emphasis on youth and children going back to the 1940s, you know, uh, just this sort of this beautiful heritage that ha- was in the DNA. And then on the other whiteboard, you started seeing some other trends. Um, things like kind of a history of rebellion. And then a history of uh, sexual indiscretion and sin with, with the leadership of the church. I'm talking 80-year history. And, and you start to see some trends going... In a, in, a, in a way that could hold a, a church in bondage. And uh, I, I wonder what would happen if, if we did this with Knack. Actually, I think, I think that did happen before my time. Start to see trends. I wonder if you did it with your family. Um, you start to see in generations that there's some trends. I don't know if any of you have been through sort of a, a social work type program 
If I said the word genogram, would, would you know what I was talking about? Some, some who've been through psychology and, and that. Why don't you just put that up, uh, Leela? Genogram is like a family tree. And uh, depending on how well you can sort of get all the dates and everything, you start to see generations of things, good and bad. And I did one in college. I think I would benefit more today from it. But to see that there are these trends of, oh, divorce going back generations. Oh, missionaries and pastors going back generations. Uh, Depression, heart disease. It's very interesting to see the the culture, the trends of a, of a family even. And so I've been thinking about NAC, about our culture, about our history. And maybe what has come up the most, the dominant theme, and this really may be, in fact, most churches, most workplaces, most families, most friendship groups, wherever people gather, uh, there may be this common theme of offense, offended people, people so offended, in fact, that they're prepared to leave their church, leave their relationships, their families. And if you know me, you know I am loath to over-spiritualize things, to look for supernatural answers when there are, are natural ones that are more obvious. But... There has been, I believe, a silent predator whose evil deeds have been overlooked, they've been ignored, they've been underestimated throughout time, and it leaves a broken trail of wounded hearts, of shattered lives, and we're so used to its presence, sometimes we don't even recognize it. It is the spirit of offense. And I'll go as far to say that I think every broken marriage, every dissolved friendship, every disgruntled Christian can be traced back to offense. Offense is this common thread in so much of our woundedness and our anger and our unforgiveness. Every one of us in this room has been offended. I know for certain I have offended people at NAC. Guess what? I have been offended by some of you. And so we're left with, with wounds. And you know what that inevitably causes us to do? Wound others. Uh, it sounds trite. It sounds a little bit like a bumper sticker, but it's true. Hurt people hurt people. Hurt people hurt people. And some of those wounds are past it seems from generation to generation like a crappy inheritance. And, you know, often we're not even conscious of it. It slides under the radar and it rears its ugly head when you least expect it. And then all it will take is sort of a sideways glance or a raised eyebrow or a curt text. And it'll just send your thought life spiraling out of control. And an offended person affects everyone around them, don't they? Um, it's like a chain of events linking offense to offense. It touches many people and then many households. Offense divides family and friends and coworkers and classmates and neighbors. People have been known to carry an offense 40, 50 years, even to their graves. 
If I said the names Hatfields and McCoys, would you know, would you recognize that name? Now, uh, there's this assumption in pop culture, yeah, that uh, this trope that they were sort of these hillbillies with, you know, moonshine. You know, the truth is they were actually esteemed businessmen. They owned lumber companies, which, which brought income to the whole community. Here's another little interesting tidbit. Um, this multi-year disaster of a feud began with an assumption that was later found out to be untrue. And it was too late. The damage was done. The lives had been lost. And, and what do you think? Do you think since the advent of Twitter and social media and YouTube comments and 24-hour news cycles, do you think people are more offended lately or less offended? I think so too. In fact, I don't think in my lifetime I've seen a culture so ready to be offended. I don't think I've seen a Christian culture so ready to be offended, a church culture so ready to be offended. And we have become a cancel culture. You heard, you've heard this term? You don't like the speaker at the Toronto Public Library? Well, pick at the library, rip up your library card, and try to get people fired. You, you, did a comedian go after your specific particular interest group? Well, um, make sure they don't get hired for a sitcom. Um, you don't like the editorial take on your cable news show? Well, boycott the advertisers, because if you're offended, that person or that perspective or that choice should be eradicated. You may, <laughs> I can't believe the illustration that just popped into our lap this last week, you know, uh, coming up to Remembrance Day. Um, Don Cherry is offended by a non-poppy wearer and says something dumb, and people are deeply offended. And Ron McLean says nothing, and people are offended. And Ron McLean apologizes, and Don Cherry is offended. Bobby Orr is offended. And Sportsnet hears all the offense being taken and fires Don Cherry. And Don Cherry supporters are offended. And Pickett, go ahead, Leela. And uh, an LGBT-style poppy starts to circulate, and people are offended. And a whole other group of people are offended by the people who are offended. And then an NBA general manager tweets support for Hong Kong, and people are offended. And LeBron James complains about that tweet, and people are offended at LeBron. And some people stay out of it, some players stay out of it all intentionally. And they end up offending people by their silence. And on and on I could go. Uh, and by the way, I'm not dismissing any of these issues, in each one of them, I had a, a strong opinion. You could even say, in each one of these issues, I took some form of offense myself. I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to myself here as much as anyone. You know what Jesus said about offense? He said it was impossible that no offenses should come. Uh, some translate that verse, offenses, as temptations. But in the King James Version, it says it's impossible that no offenses should come. So let me just assure you, you will not get through this life. You will not get through this week. I don't think you'll get through the next 20 minutes without being offended in some way, okay? So clearly, being offended is not a sin in and of itself. It is an opportunity, though. It's an opportunity 
to sin or to respond in a Christ-like way. So that's the first point I've discovered as I've studied and, and contemplated the spirit of offense in these last few months. And so you'll forgive me if this is a bit of a rambling talk, but I'm just trying to process all the, all the, the learning and the, and, the, and the thinking that has come out of thinking about this. Offense isn't inherently wrong. It's an opportunity. So how are you going to respond? Will you respond with uh, resentment or anger? I know we just talked about holy discontent, about righteous anger, but let's be honest, often it's just human anger, isn't it? And, and we could decide to burn bridges, that's going to cause greater offense. When we're attacked, we can decide to come back at them twice as hard. What's the, what's the Sean Connery Untouchables, uh, how do you, you know, if he brings a knife, you bring a gun. If he puts one of yours in the hospital, you put one of his in the morgue. That's the Chicago way, and that's how you... No, am I only one who's... Okay. <clears throat> Is it because my Capone accent was so horrible? Okay. Did I offend anybody with that accent? Okay. So offenses come. <laughs> A little Scottish in the room. And then the opportunity comes for us to respond. And so for many of us, usually the spirit of resentment festers. It's followed by the spirit of retaliation followed by the spirit of revenge, retaliation, grudges. You know, I've heard the question put this way. When you get squeezed, what comes out? You know, when you squeeze oranges, what should come out? Orange juice. It shouldn't taste like apple juice. But why is it when a lot of Christians get squeezed by the devil, everything but Jesus comes out? You know, I've often said that trials and tests don't always build character. Sometimes they just reveal character. They reveal the true condition of our heart. They reveal your spiritual maturity. How, how you react under pressure is perhaps how the real you acts. And so offense is an opportunity for you to come back in an opposite spirit, to come back in love. It's like you can literally change the atmosphere when you do that. It's an opportunity to ask the Father to see that person the way God does and respond with the heart of God. And I'll tell you, that'll just douse cold water on Satan's scheme. Which leads me to my next observation, point number two. People are not the enemy, okay? We can overcome the spirit of offense when we start to realize that the real enemy is not people. They may seem like they are, but they aren't. And this is a very real enemy, actually, an enemy of our souls who is in an unseen world. And I know for some of you, this is where I start getting into weirdo X-Files territory. But we have a real enemy, Lucifer, Satan, the devil, demons, whatever word works for you. Listen to what Paul says. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. This is an enemy, by the way, that knows exactly what buttons to push. Things that wouldn't offend others, and vice versa, things that offend you. This, the Greek word for offend in, in Luke 17.1 actually is the, is the Greek word scandalon. 
And that word originally referred to the part of the trap uh, which the bait was attached to, the part on the mouse trap where you put the cheese. And so hence the word means like uh, laying a trap in someone's way. So let me, if you're not connecting the dots here, let me just spell it out for you. A fence is a tool of the devil to trap people into captivity. Captivity? Captivity into what? Um, do you know bitter people? Do, do you know people who are harboring resentment? Do they seem free to you? So in every area of our lives, the enemy is setting up circumstances for us to be offended. He has a seemingly endless bag of, of tricks to tempt us with offense. Now, be honest with yourself and see if any of these statements ring a bell. You ready? They didn't speak to me. I was looked over, and I deserved that promotion. Wait, they saw that I was waiting for that parking space. He accused me of something that I didn't even do. They didn't invite me to that meeting. I was left completely out of that conversation. She gave Sue a gift for her birthday, but she didn't even acknowledge it was my birthday. He answered me so rudely, so abruptly. They acted like I was invisible. You know, she's never paid me back that $20 she owed me. He didn't even say thank you. He never once apologized to me for what he said. She doesn't even bother to call me. Did you hear what she said to me? So here's what we do. Here's what I do. We write people off. Now, we may not say it exactly this way, but the underlying message is that person is dead to me. And by the way, that's the ultimate goal of the spirit of offense, murder. You know, the enemy seeks to gain access through offense. It hopes that it festers into unforgiveness and bitterness. And the end result, hopefully, is death. Does that seem a little extreme to you? Well, that's the intention. That's the enemy's goal. And so if the enemy can't get you to commit physical murder, he'll entice you to murder with your tongue, character assassination, gossip. He's thrilled to have you murder someone's reputation, their dignity. Listen to what uh, 1 John says. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Some of y'all would never say that you hate anybody, but you've definitely written some people off. And I think God is saying to us this morning, you're writing off somebody created in my image, someone I love dearly, someone, um, you know, I never wrote you off. And how dare you do it to one of my kids? They are not your enemy. They are children of God to be loved. So it's going to require of you the maturity to look past some offensive behavior and see the real person. Chances are that offender has been wounded and they act out of a wounded soul. Think of it this way. You know, a poor dog gets hit by a car and it's going to lay on the side of the road, hurting and, and needing rescue. Now, it doesn't matter if it's your pookie 
and you love him and you raise him from a pup and it sleeps on your duvet every night, in that pain, Pookie is going to bite you, right? People can be similar. It doesn't matter how close you are with them in a relationship. When they have lost their ability to see God's goodness and love, many times they'll wound the ones that they love the most. And that's when it's especially important that we be vigilant, quick to love. If you will remember the person who hurts you is not your enemy, but rather they are being influenced, maybe even controlled by the real enemy of God, you'll place yourself in a position for God to fight for you. Which brings me to my next observation. Could it be that you are really offended at God? You know, many times your offender is not mad at you. They're offended at God, and you happen to be a target in their vicinity. And some of you know the story of 2 Kings, uh, Saul and David. Saul's chosen by the people, but David was chosen and anointed by God. And Saul spent a good part of his reign looking to find and kill David. But God protected David, and, and, and God fought on David's behalf, just as he'll do that for you. Could it be that Saul wasn't actually offended at David, who had been nothing but kind and generous and loyal to him, like a son, but was actually offended at God, who had not chosen Saul as king? You look at the story of Cain and Abel, the first sons of Adam and Eve, and Cain brought an offering to the Lord from the, from the works of his own hands, the fruit of his vineyard. But God, you know, who knows the heart, who knows our motivation, he knew that that offering didn't come from an authentic place. And Cain's offering symbolized maybe his own strength or his own effort, his own ability, rather than God's grace. Well, Abel, on the other hand, he brings an offering of obedience. It's the choicest firstborn of his flock. Maybe it didn't cost him as much in labor as Cain did, but that offering of worship was dear to him. And it says, the Lord looked with favor on Abel's offering, but not on Cain's offering. So Cain was very angry. Cain was offended with the Lord. And rather than repent and do what was right, rather than see this as maybe a situation to learn from, mature from, sanctify himself from, strengthen his character, he took it out on Abel, his anger and offense on God. He murdered Abel. Remember, that's the ultimate goal of the spirit of offense. And God even warned Cain that, Cain, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. But Cain submits to the spirit of offense and murders his brother, all because he's offended at God. You know, Vicky and I have been through some intensive spiritual warfare group work in a, in a, in a group weekend setting, Holy Spirit encounter weekends, conferences, led by this fellow I just can't recommend highly enough, Rob Reimer. And, and in these sessions, as I would cry out for God, asking for a filling of the Spirit, asking for the gift of tongues, asking for um, to hear the voice of God, and feeling like nothing is happening, feeling like nothing is changing, feeling frustrated, quite frankly. You know, Rob reminded me of what has become sort of his life statement goes like this. 
never satisfied, always grateful, ever pursuing, never taking offense, never satisfied with the spiritual maturity, feeling as though you've arrived, always grateful for God's goodness, for the gifts he has given you, ever pursuing, you know, the filling of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, but never taking offense if God's timing is not your timing, if the things don't work out the way you expect it. Christian, this morning, look deeply. Do you have offense stored up against God? Maybe life hasn't worked out the way you expected. Maybe you feel your prayers are going unanswered. Is it affecting your worship? Well, of course it is. Redundant question. Of course it is. Are you taking your offense out on others? And that leads to the fourth thing that I've noticed about the spirit of offense. What you feed will grow. Isn't that true? A person who is wounded is going to meditate on that offense. Now, they wouldn't put it in those words necessarily, but that's what's happening, right? You've seen this. You've experienced this. All, all your free thinking is about this hurt, and you go to bed with it rolling through your mind, and you wake up with it. I mean, that's meditating. All these thoughts start to become all-consuming, and they move into obsession. And it's only a matter of time, and I don't know if there's another way to put it, where you are spiritually bound by them. Now remember, offense itself is not deadly. It is when we pick it up and play with it and, and roll it around and feed it. That's when we become offended. We ruminate on it. And sure enough, whatever you feed is going to grow. In fact, offended people actually produce all kinds of fruit. It's just not the fruit of the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit of offense, fruit like anger and outrage and disunity and bitterness and resentment and strife. Um, the consequences of that fruit of offense comes out in the form of what? Insults, personal attacks, division, broken relationships, betrayal. Bitterness is the root and if roots are nursed and watered and fed and given attention, they, what, increase in depth and in strength. And if they're not dealt with early enough, quickly over time, they get harder and harder to pull up, don't they? This is what the author of Hebrews says about it. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Now, maybe the root of bitterness will be barely noticeable at first. People uh, wouldn't necessarily notice that quality in you. But if you continue to feed it and nurse it and not deal with it, pretty soon bitterness is the only thing people will notice about you. And then here's the other thing that happens 100% of the time as you feed offense. This is my fifth observation. Offense wants company, doesn't it? When we're offended, we're going to seek out people who will agree with us. The spirit of offense is never satisfied to be a one-person army. It has this insatiable appetite to seek out others. And it's like the old saying goes, misery loves company. If Glenn has offended me, uh, I'm going to want to seek to justify my anger and my hurt. And it becomes incredibly tempting to find allies, you know, a tribe 
And, and if they're willing to give me an open ear, I'll, I'll have a platform to give justification to this wound that I have. Well, then the snowball really starts to pick up steam. And after we've fed this offense and the snowball is growing, it's produced a fruit of anger and bitterness and envy. Well, now we're on a roll and we start to add gossip and slander into the mix. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. You notice all these seven things, I think, are directly related to offense. And God himself says he hates them. God hates the spirit of offense because of the devastation that it causes, the broken lives that it affects. You know, King David... Uh, had many sons. Many sons had uh, King David. Uh, <laughs> some different moms. And, uh, and one son, Amnon, he committed a wicked, offensive sin against his half-sister Tamar. It's, it was an incestuous violation. So David's other son, Absalom, hears about this, and he is justifiably angry. But he feels his dad, King David, is not responding to this injustice, this rape, in an expedient or honorable way. And it just, it burns inside of him to the point where he takes matter into his own hands and he murders his brother Amnon. Remember the spirit of offense is what kind of spirit? A murdering spirit. And so now Absalom is a murderer and he has to flee into hiding. But the offense is far from over. It now transfers to his father, King David. And Absalom is saying, you know, why didn't he act? Why, why didn't he do more? What kind of impotent lame duck king is this? Absalom's thoughts are poisoned with bitterness. And he becomes this expert critic of his father's weaknesses. And um, even during all this smack talk about his dad, He's actually hoping that his dad will call for him. But David doesn't, and it only makes the offense, the bitterness, greater. Now, we don't know um, what Absalom is thinking, but I bet it's something like, oh man, if people, people love King David, but if they knew what he was really like at home, you know, they wouldn't be singing his praises. I've seen the real King David, the King David in his underwear, King David, you know, the, the behind the scenes King David, and it ain't pretty. Uh, you know, the guy is living off the good press of 30 years ago. What has he done lately? You kill one giant, right? And I think you're untouchable. Um, so Absalom stays in exile for three years, and his bitterness is growing. And, and David's advisors are telling him, hey, you know, like enough time has passed. Why don't you send for Absalom and start to, the healing process? But David is offended. And he refuses. He might be thinking, well, Absalom should come to me. I'm, I'm king. He's the one who murdered. Two more years pass. How many of you know family fights, or maybe even in your own family, that have lasted longer than five years for something less severe than that? Yeah. King David finally allows his son out of exile, but Absalom is still offended, still bitter, 
And David is still mad, mad enough that he actually refuses to see Absalom, even though he's just down the block in Jerusalem. He's not going to talk to him. So here's what he does. Absalom begins to seek out anyone and everyone who might just be a bit jaded, a bit discontented. He, he, it says Absalom would go down to the city gates where people would gather and gossip, and he'd go, is it just me, or has the king lost a bit of his mojo lately? And people would go, yeah, you know, I kind of wish that he would do this or that, or things were different in the kingdom. And Absalom would go, I know, right? Like, that's messed up. Now, if I were king, uh, people would be treated with respect, and taxes would be lower, and I'd cancel the GST. And, you know, that, but that's just how I roll. He starts gathering all these malcontents together. And offense loves company, doesn't it? Offense hates being alone. It needs affirmation. It needs validation. And it says that Absalom campaigned and won over the hearts of Israel, stirred dissent to the point where David had to flee Jerusalem. Aha, how does it feel, Dad? And if you want to hear how that story ends, read 2 Samuel. Um, But spoiler, it unsurprisingly ends with Absalom's death and David's heartache. Once again, that's the end game of offense. And we can try to parse out who was actually right and wrong in this scenario. David probably should have taken action against Amnon, his rapist son. There's lots of bad decisions to go around. But who is the judge? Is it us or is it the Lord? Each of us, you know, are responsible for our own responses, even if we don't have control over the outcomes. We don't have control over divvying out justice. And look, no matter what the scenario is, we can divide all offended people into two categories, those who have been treated unjustly and those who believe they've been treated unjustly. You know, people in that second category believe with all their hearts that they have been wronged, and often their conclusions are drawn from inaccurate information, or their conclusion is accurate, but their, or sorry, their information is accurate, but their conclusion is distorted. Either way, they are hurting people, and they judge by assumptions and by hearsay. And then there are legitimate reasons to be offended. Some of you have been deeply hurt, and you are truly the, the innocent party. Um, I know what it's like to have friends betray me, uh, to feel like you've done everything in your power to make things right and still be rejected. So in that sense, you have a right to feel the sting of offense. Here's what you don't have a right as a follower of Jesus. You don't have a right to feed that offense, to let that offense fester, to see people as your enemy, to see God as your enemy. Legitimate offense for offensive actions are one thing. But how are you going to respond to that offense? The the spirit of offense is a trespasser in the body of Christ. Look, there's so much more uh, to be said, but let's call it a day. I want to invite you back next week 
if I haven't offended you. I guess we'll, t- we'll see if the attendance really plummets. Because we need to spend some time on how we battle the spirit of offense. So you really need to be here next week. And, and there are two things that we can begin to do in this battle this week. And, and by the way, make no mistake, this is a battle, right? This is a battle. The first thing, and this is always the first thing, it's bringing into light what was once in darkness, shining God's flashlight on it. You know, this has probably been an uncomfortable 40 minutes or so. We're, we're naming out loud what we'd rather maybe have left under the rug. Some of you are thinking of specific people who have left this church. Some of you are thinking of specific people you are offended with. Some of you are thinking of specific people who are offended with you. And you're thinking, dang, I'm going to have to do something about this, aren't I? He's going to ask us to do something about this. And I don't think I want to. Well, part of the, part of the pain and the joy of preparing for this mini-series, reading on it, studying on it, contemplating it, is being acutely aware of how often I get offended, of how thin-skinned I can be. And it's embarrassing in some ways. It's shameful in some ways. It's a painful thing. But now that I've put it on your radar, this week I want you to do what I've been doing, and that is to dig into it, explore it, lean into it, wrestle with it. So when you experience offense this week, and, and for sure you will, um, I want you to ask yourself, why am I offended right now? Is this legitimate? Is this even me, or is this a lie from the enemy? There's a good chance it is. How, how am I going to respond to this feeling? Do I want to keep feeling this way? There's a part of you that does. Am I going to feed it? Am I really mad at God? I want you to explore it, to wrestle with it, to bring it into the light. The second thing I'm going to ask you to do today is to proclaim truth, to say out loud what our intention as a church is going to be. There's something, I believe, powerful about speaking out loud our goals. You know, secular science has even affirmed this. But as Christians, something happens, I believe, when we declare to an unseen world, to an unseen enemy, that we are not going to respond in sinful ways. Now, it turns out it may be you know, just the beginning of a process for some of you. Um, uh, it may even involve counseling. Um, that's okay. But today, could we make declarations to the unseen world that our intentions are not to give the spirit of offense a foothold in our families, in our places of business, in our schools, especially in our church. So if you feel you can make these declarations with authenticity, not necessarily achieving perfection in it, but believing in Christ's power, that we can battle the spirit of offense. Would you declare these with me? Now, they're in your bulletin. We're also going to put them on the screen. And I wonder, I don't want to bully anybody into this, but would you stand with me if you're up for it? And we would close our service by 
declaring these together. If you agree with me, let's say these out loud. I refuse to allow the enemy to cause me to seek revenge against those who have wronged me. I will leave justice to the Lord. I refuse to run from the offense in the church in which you have placed me, but I will work with my spiritual brothers and sisters to face the troubles and to work through them. I declare that I will pursue peace and holiness with all people. I will allow no root of bitterness to spring up. I will not become an Absalom who seeks to persuade others to join in his offense. I refuse to let the inequities in my life cause me to become bitter and hopeless and to lead me to blame God for them. Through your power, O Lord, I will refuse to attack my enemies with my tongue, for I will never forget that both death and life are in the power of the tongue. Holy Spirit, reveal the true condition of my heart. Remove any unforgiveness and bitterness. I will not allow it to cause my heart to grow hard. Somebody just got a little more free this morning. Somebody's weight just got a little bit lighter this morning. Amen. May we be free of the spirit of offense. May we be full of the spirit of God, which produces a different kind of fruit. Love, joy, peace, unity. I want to thank you for coming to church today. You may not be feeling that grateful right now. I want to thank you for coming. And more than just coming to church, I'm going to ask you that you'd leave here and be the church. You are loved people. I hope you know that. God bless you as you go.